Worth repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and Do210.com. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. My name is Tori Poole. The stories in this episode were recorded live at Texas Public Radio. This is part two of the theme, Awkward, stories about chagrin, regret, and being in between. Our first storyteller is San Juana Guillermo. San Juana is here to share an important story about her name and the many people that tried to change it. Hello, my name is San Juana Guillermo. No, I'm kidding, it's not. <laughs> oh, when I, my mom was pregnant with me, she was kind of sickly. And so she went to visit the Cathedral of the Virgen de San Juan. And she promised the Virgen that if we both survived, that she would name me after her. So San Juana it is, which I really hated. And I was really ashamed of my name when, when I was younger. So, um, my parents are from Cotula, Texas. And the, com- the La Tejano community there was mostly migrants, as were my parents. So they, when I was one year old, they went to the south of Chicago to work in a field, in a camp out there, and they ended up staying. So I grew up in Chicago Heights, in a Tejano community surrounded by my people. And they had no problem saying my name. All of them could say my name. The non-white, I mean, the non-Spanish-speaking, mostly white, just couldn't get it. They just couldn't say my name. They had problems with it. And when I was in seventh grade, I went to Catholic school, one and only year. And the nun there just didn't want to be troubled with my name. She wanted my father, Sister Josetta. So, what's your name? Uh, San Juana. So what does it mean in English? Uh, St. Jane. Well, from now on, you'll be Jane. But I don't like Jane. Then you'll be Janie. <laughs> so it was. So I was Janie up until about my 20s, my early 20s. And when I was a teenager, I started working. My fellow workers um, would ask me about my name. And so I would tell them that I was named after a virgin. They would laugh. They say, Are you? <laughs> so basically, I thought about it. I thought, Hey, I am the first, the original Jane the Virgin. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. And then I grew up, I got married, I was 30. We moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the Latino community there was very diverse. There was um, Mexican-American, Mexican nationalists, Guatemaltecos, Cubans, Puerto Ricans, and Dominicans. And the Caribbeans would always call me Santa Juana. I don't know why. <laughs> the Mexican nationals would call me Sur Juana, like the famous nun from Mexico. And the Tejanos would call me San Juanita which I really hated <laughs> that. So anyway, um, 
they had no problems with my name either, but the non-Spanish speaking, mostly white, had a lot of trouble. They just couldn't grasp my name. So what do they call you for short? San Juanan. <laughs> oh, what is your nickname? Oh, San Juanan. <laughs> so sometimes I would try and help them out and I would tell them, hey, you know, it's like San Juan, Puerto Rico, but with an A in the end, and everybody knows how to say San Juan, right? They'd always come back. Oh, you're Puerto Rican? <laughs> no, I'm not. Some wouldn't even try. They would just dismiss me completely and they would say, oh, I'm not even gonna bother with that because I'll never remember it. So I read or heard somewhere that when a person doesn't take the time to say your name, to pronounce your name, it's because you are not important to them and they have no respect for you. And I believe that, okay? Then I moved to San Antonio. And I was like music to my ears. It was like everybody could pronounce my name and I didn't have to enunciate it. I didn't have to spell it for them. And then I met her. So my nephew invites me to his in-laws for Easter Sunday. And I'm introduced to his aunt-in-law Lulu, and Lulu cannot say my name. Okay, San John, San Juan. So the day goes on, and I'm coming in from the backyard, and I bump into her, and she starts again. Uh, she's really getting on my nerves now. <laughs> Not because she can't pronounce my name, but because she won't stop, okay? So then later on, we're in this group, and we're having this conversation, and uh, she said, and she started again, and then she said, oh, do you have a nickname? Like, oh yeah, but it's only for family. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so then um, my sister-in-law who was standing there with us said with a little gleam in her eye, she said, you know, Lulu's not her real name. And I go, oh, so what's your real name? Oh. Juanita. <laughs> so then I, um, in a not so nice voice, I say, so you mean to tell me that your name is Juanita and you can't pronounce my name? <laughs> oh yeah, they are somewhat alike, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Turned around and I looked at my sister-in-law. Now she's got a worried look on her face. Because <laughs> she knows me, okay? So I just shake my head and walked away. Hello, my name is San Juana Guillermo. Thank you. The next storyteller is Jack Schutze. Jack shares his story about how he and his prom date had to 
Roll with the punches after taking a huge spill. In Texas, whenever you're talking about high school sweethearts, there's usually a bit of formality involved. There's moms for, hum- for homecoming, dances, sometimes even coordinated school photos. My high school sweetheart and I, we met when we were 13 and dated all the way through senior year. Growing up in the suburbs, there's a lot of expectations of how to act and who to be. Contrarians at heart, we nearly rejected them all. I was into punk rock music. Most of my clothes were from Goodwill. They've been customized with kind of patches and Sharpies. She didn't really wear makeup or dresses and uh, always had dyed hair and was into this guy, Elliot Smith, before most people knew he existed. She even got to see him live. Our love and shared experiences created a strong bond. We fancied ourselves a modern-day Sid and Nancy, and it was us against the world. Senior year, while most of our peers were busy going to football games and out to house parties, she and I worked. We had jobs. With little or no interest in the daily happenings of our high school, our friends were the older co-workers at the pizza place we called home. For us, prom wasn't really in the cards. It wasn't even really in the deck. Our goal was to work as hard as we could so that when we graduated, we'd blast off from this little suburb into the great unknown, start our lives as delusional artists or nouveau hippies or something. Looking back, we were insufferably naive and full of optimism, (laughs) which is a dangerous combination. Our parents were mostly hands-off with how we lived our lives, but prom was different. They launched a PR offensive that would rival a political ad campaign. Like, you have to go to prom. It's your senior year. It's your last one. If you skip it, you'll, you'll regret it. And my favorite, all your friends will be there. They finally just said something that broke our defenses. They go, if you go to prom, you can take the whole weekend off and we'll pay for the event. Now we're talking, right? I was like, a free ride to go crash this gaudy spectacle of excess? If anything, we could just go for an hour and make snide comments to each other about the ridiculousness of it all. Either way, we were in. Leading up to the event, she'd gone out and bought a light, uh, light brown satin dress that brought out the color of her eyes. Um, I rented a tux, and my accent colors matched her dress. It wasn't particularly fancy, but for us, it was like the lifestyles of the rich and famous. <laughs> the night of, I headed over to her parents' house for the corsage presentation. Shortly thereafter, we were sent to be sacrificed to the gods of conformity. <laughs> also known as prom. (laughs) We'd picked a nice restaurant on the way to downtown that was famous for their fries and it had a big open floor plan. The host sat us all the way in the back corner, but from our seats, we could see the entire bustling dining room. I loved her so much and seeing her smile and formal wear was really tripping me out. (laughs) We were full of nervous energy, but doing our best to hide it. Once the appetizers of battered fries and homemade dipping sauce hit the table, we began to dig in and kind of relaxed a little bit. The tension was kind of cutting. And somewhere around that time, the server came to serve the table next to us. She took one item off the tray, destabilizing it, sending the entire table's order of food towards us. (laughs) Food and plates smashed as they hit the table and the ground, and the food that did not hit the table or the ground landed directly on my date, right right here. The whole restaurant fell completely silent as the waitress tried to dab up hamburger grease and aioli (laughs) from the now-run dress. The silence started to fade as everyone was slowly like, it's their prom, it's their prom. (laughs) 
It got louder and louder, and the waitress actually ran off crying. I realized my date was in shock, and I saw her face change from like a blinding rage to resolute sadness. She leaned forward and quietly said, can we just leave? Which we did. We uh, escaped out the back door. On the way to the car, the manager chased us down, apologizing, and he gave me his card and said, you know, please call me when things calm down. Up until that point in my life, nothing had prepared me for this. Now I was in shock. In the car, we decided to just head straight to the prom. Maybe we'd get in, get out, no one would notice. I really did. I felt I hurt deeply for my partner in the passenger seat. She was always very proud and strong-willed, but of all the evenings, we sat there mostly quietly for the rest of the ride, just trying to reconcile what had happened. When we got to the prom, we smoked one rebellious cigarette in the parking lot, <laughs> gathered ourselves up, and headed indoors. Now, I don't know if you guys remember prom, but the first thing is always the photo booth. They set it up to make sure you don't forget to take those future blackmail photos. <laughs> the photographer sees our predicament, immediately jumps into action, starts kind of moving us around. She goes, okay, maybe if she stands in the back, I'm 6'1". <laughs> and you're like, what about stomach to stomach? Let's do this weird. <laughs> and the conversation just got more and more awkward and there's a line forming and I wanted to get out of there. And suddenly we bro both just kind of broke. We were like, we weren't even supposed to be at this damn thing. <laughs> and I feel bad for that photographer, but my date, dead on, looked straight into the camera and was just, take the picture. <laughs> at that point, something had broken. It was like this giant glass ball of expectations had been shattered. We no longer felt any obligation for our big night. Looking back, I think the accident at the restaurant is exactly what we needed. Once we addressed it and moved past it, we were allowed to be ourselves. We found the few people at the dance that we considered friends, told them about the story, laughed. We ate the food to replace our meal. We almost danced for 15 seconds. <laughs> but we had a great time. We had a great evening. And the next day, I called the restaurant. They gave us a, a full commercial cleaning of the dress, which did get the dresses out, or the stains out. And then they gave us a $250 gift certificate. So we spent that summer, every couple Tuesdays, <laughs> going out and eating at our now favorite restaurant. Right, thank you. Our last storyteller is Michelle Cantu. Michelle shares her story about realizing that some embarrassments are just love exaggerated. So, when I was growing up, I thought that my mother was the most embarrassing person on the planet. And that was because she didn't do things like how the other mothers did. For example, if my friends had a boy over, their mothers would provide fancy snacks like crudite on things called Lazy Susans? <laughs> Not my mother. Not that we would ever invite boys over because we knew better, but if a boy just so happened to come and knock on the door and ask to see us, my mother would chase them away with a chunkla 
or a hanger a la Mommy Dearest. <laughs> but really, the trouble started when I was born. My mother got pregnant with me when she was 17. And when she got pregnant, my mother, my father said, you know what, Deborah, I think it's time that you drop out. And so she did, but she decided, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to try again. So she went back to high school and then got pregnant again with my sister. So then my father says, really, Debbie, it's time to hang it up. You've got your domestic duties. So she says, okay, and then decides, no, I'm going to finish high school. So after a third try, my mother graduated with me and my sister there to witness her cross the stage. Which, give, it, give it up for my mom. That's amazing. <laughs> However, when I was growing up, I was just embarrassed. I just felt like I was the human personification of the scarlet letter of this big mistake. And so for me, it was always hard for me to kind of own that identity. My mother did this amazing thing, but I never appreciated it until I was much older. Then comes high school. While my other mom's friends are getting them set up to go to high schools in the neighborhoods that they grew up with, with all of their family and friends that look like them, my mother was pushing me to go to a magnet school. I want you to be a doctor, mija. I'm like, okay. So then I go to a high school where there's not a lot of people who look like me. And I just wanted to get by by minimizing my own Latinidad and not really owning who I was. Guys, I didn't even take Spanish in high school. I studied Latin for four years. That's a dead language. But I make it through high school with very minimal hiccup. Come graduation time. You know, graduation is not fun. I don't think anyone really enjoys going to graduations. They're generally kind of long and boring. They last several hours. Now, the high school I went to was a small high school. Um, so there were several rules that they had in place to make sure that the event went off without a hitch. One of them was the number of tickets. Listen. You can only bring two people to the graduation. <laughs> Another rule was, hey, because we're trying to get through names and information, we want to limit noisemakers for graduation. So no air horns, no cowbells, no maracas, which I felt like was very pointed at me. <laughs> but so I sat my mother down, I said, okay, mom, you got to follow the rules on this one so that graduation goes off without a hitch. And she said, of course, mija, I will follow the rules. And to this day, she claims she does, but for those of you with Latina mothers know, they never follow the rules. <laughs> so because we went to a smaller high school, it wasn't just your name that was announced. They said your name, they said your GPA, they said like if you had scholarships, they said what school you were going to. So this is how the ceremony went for the person right before me. All right, next coming to the stage, 4.0 GPA, early acceptance to Johns Hopkins University, Alan Brentwood. And then there are Alan's two parents 
Good job, Alan. We're so proud of you. And then it's my turn. All right, next across the stage. She is in the bottom quartile of her class. She is waitlisted at the local community college. Michelle Cantu. And then what do you hear? <laughs> Definitely more than two people, guys. So there's a whole cheering section that pops up. And so I'm slinking into my chair like, oh, rule number one already broken. But then I start to hear a noise that sounds like maracas. <laughs> and to this day, my mother says, listen, Mija, I followed the rules because I didn't bring maracas. No, what my mother did was she made her own noisemaker that wasn't on the list. My mother took two milk jugs and put beans in them. So next across the stage, Michelle Cantu. And then, guys, this is like some STEM level engineering stuff. I mean, you would have thought I would have had a higher GPA. But what Senora Cantu didn't do was tape the lid shut on the milk jugs. So here she is, and then, and then, beans go flying all over the audience. People are freaking out. Barbara, the Mexicans are throwing beans now. I know they throw rice, it's just a matter of time before the beans. Guys, and my last name is Cantu, so I'm at the very front of that graduation. So I'm just like slinking lower and lower into my seat, watching people pick freaking frijoles out of their hair. After graduation is done, I go to my mother and I say, Mom, what happened? You had very specific instructions. And she said, to hell with those instructions, mija. I am proud of you. I, there was no way I was just going to have two people come to your graduation. You are the first one in our family to be headed to college, waitlisted or not. <laughs> and I'm so proud of you and all that you've overcome. You graduated high school without having a baby too. And I was like. <laughs> so from that moment on, I learned to appreciate and own my identity and just live in the moment and be proud of my mother, AKA Miss Milk Jugs. Thank you. This has been the Worth Repeating Podcast. My name is Tori Poole, and I'm so thankful that you joined me. Worth Repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, and Texas A&M University, San Antonio. Please join us for the next live event on October 18th, Ghosted, stories about ghosts or being ghosted. 
share your spookiest stories about the paranormal or that time someone ghosted you but still haunts your DMs. Submit your stories by visiting tpr.org backslash WR. Your stories are worth repeating. 